Hello, I'm Marvin Fant, and this is Fantline, where we're not afraid to speak truth, and it doesn't matter if you're conservative or liberal, Democrat or Republican, because right always trumps over wrong. Enough said. Hello, I'm Minister Marvin Fant, and this is The Best of Race, Religion, Racism by Dr. Fred Price. And though he passed away in 2020, the teachings that he did over the years is phenomenal. And I feel that it needs to be presented um, at various times over, over, over the, in the upcoming future, so to speak. I don't think that it needs to be um, put to the side or forgotten because especially in these, day in, de- these days and times where racism is very much rampant, where there is much division and strife, even more so than it was when he um, originally did this series uh, back in 1997 and 98. So I think it needs to, um, on a continuous basis, be um, represented and not forgotten, as, as I say. So here is the best of race, religion, racism by Dr. Fred Price. At this point is the Answers book. The Answers book, 1990, by Ken Ham, Andrew Snelling, and Carl Whelan. Master Books, P.O. Box, 1606, El Cajon, California, 920. The last thing that we said when we closed last time is the fact, and I think that it has been established by scientific input as well as biblical explanation, that Adam and Eve were not white. Adam and Eve had to be mid-brown. Biologically, they could not have been white. We found that out from biology. Now, after the flood, for the few centuries until the Tower of Babel, there was only one language and one culture group. Thus, there were no barriers to marriage within this group. This would tend to keep the skin color of the population away from the extremes. Very dark and very light skin would appear, of course, 
but people tending in either direction would be free to marry someone less dark or light than themselves, ensuring that the average color stayed roughly the same. The same would be true of other characteristics, not just skin color. Under these sorts of circumstances, distinct racial lines will never emerge. This is true for animals as well as human populations, as every biologist knows. To obtain such separate lines, you would need to break a large breeding group into smaller groups and keep them separate. That is, not interbreeding anymore. This is exactly what happened at Babel. Once separate languages were imposed, there were instantaneous barriers. Not only would people tend not to marry someone they couldn't understand, but entire groups which spoke the same language would have difficulty relating to and trusting those which did not speak their language. They would tend to move away or be forced away from each other into different environments. This, of course, is what God intended. It is unlikely that each small group would carry the same broad range of skin color as the original larger group. So one group might have more dark genes on average, while another might have more light genes. The same thing would happen to other characteristics. For instance, the shape of the nose, the shape of the eye, etc. And since they would interbreed only with their own language group, this tendency would no longer be averaged out as before. Now that's the end of the quote, and that's the end of the references from the answer book, the answers book. Now, moving on to some more scientific evidence, because you see, we, we have to validate where we came from. Because where we are and what we are now is the result of where we started. Isn't that right? So we have to find out accurate information so that we can better interpret why things are the way they are. And so that's why we've had to explode the false racist teaching that Adam and Eve were white. Amen. It does not line up biologically. Hmm. Now, in an article entitled, and I quote, scientists say, now I want, I want you to listen to the, these refer references that I'm going to give you now, because they're awesome. And the thing about it, all these references are from white scientists. So it's not like some black angry person is trying to make everything look like it's black instead of white. But these are scientists that are primarily white scientists. And I want you to listen to this. This, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is this is this is this is this is awesome. In an article entitled and I quote scientists say race has no biological basis. End of quote. You get that? S scientists say race has no biological. Say biological. biological. 
biological basis. By Robert Lee Hotz, Time Science writer, Monday, February 20th, 1995. Not ancient history. 1995. The article states, and I quote, Atlanta researchers adept at analyzing the genetic threads of human diversity said Sunday that the concept of race, the source of abiding cultural and political divisions in American society simply has no basis in fundamental human biology. Scientists should abandon it, they say. End of quote. Is that awesome? The same article goes on, and I'm quoting from another part of it. Biologically, we are saying in essence that race is no longer a valid scientific distinction. End of quote. Said Solomon H. Katz, a University of Pennsylvania anthropologist. And I quote again, race is a social construct derived mainly from perceptions conditioned by events of recorded history. And it has no basic biological reality. End of quote. Said C. Loring Brace, a biological anthropologist at the University of Michigan. Quoting again, the old, now I, I, I want you to listen to this because we're getting ready. We're going to come up to some information in just a moment. There's some of you going to, you're going to have a hard time digesting it. So I want you to, I got to lead you up to this. <clears throat> the old biological, biological definitions of race were based on what people looked like. End quote, said Joseph L. Graves Jr., an evolutionary biologist at Arizona State University West. Quoting again, social scientists are confronted with a dilemma in that they use racial categories in order to conduct their research studies, to compare and contrast life chances or social and economic progress. At the same time, there is an understanding that race has no biological reality. End of quote. Said Michael Omi, an expert in ethnic studies at UC Berkeley. Now hold on to your seats. Most, I'm quoting, Quote, most white people, not all, really do believe that you can tell something about somebody by his or her skin color. Now, this is a white scientist saying this, so don't be throwing no rock at black boy. Mm-hmm. And see, y'all talk, you Caucasian, you white folks, you talk this stuff and you know it. 
That's why so many of you moved out of the inner cities. Because you figure you can tell something about somebody just by what they look like. And so if they're black, they got to be bad. And a lot of people that support our ministry, I don't know if they're going to still support it, but <laughs> have been supporters of our ministry in days gone by. We have many, 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 many whites who love the ministry, support the ministry, but they will not come to this church. I have them write and tell us that they don't, they don't go to church because they have not found the church that ministers to them on the level, spiritually, that this church does. But they won't come here because you black people scare them. Because <laughs> all black people are muggers. And all black men rape white women. It's because they're black. So you know they're rapists. You can look at them and tell that. And they won't come. And the thing that's so sad about it, and the, same, the thing that irks me, is you're putting me in the same bag with them. You're putting all of these people that are here at this church that are born again and filled with the Spirit and have their families together, working on having their families together, support ministry, not just this ministry, but even other ministries out there, that all these people, just because they're black, they're dangerous. See, that's that perception. I, I, want, I, 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 I want to read this again. And I quote, most white people, not all, not all, really do believe that you can tell something about somebody by his or her skin color, said Rhett Jones, director of Brown University Center for the study of race, end of quote. All because your skin is black. You can tell it sometime you go to a store, go somewhere, and elevate, you're waiting for the elevator, and the elevator door opens, and there's a white woman in there by herself, and a black person, black man walks in. You can sense the... She just knows she's going to get mugged and raped right there in the elevator. Because that's a black man. That's what they do. That's what those people do. We don't want to live close to them. Not all. We know that. So don't go getting on your high horses. Thinking we're talking about everybody. We're not. Now, that ends the race section. And now I'm ready to go into racism. But just before I do, there's a couple of things that I want to mention. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 34. 
because I received a letter. Oh, that's what I forgot to do. Well, I can do it now. This is a positive letter. You asked the congregation in your lesson last Sunday, uh, what did we do to deserve this? Now, I really didn't ask the question as a question that I wanted to get an answer to. You know what I mean? I, I, we went through a lot of stuff, and then I said, now, what in the world? Why is everybody against the black folks? It, it appears. We know everybody's not. But it appears that such a large segment, they're against the blacks. And so we wondered, what in the world? And I just made this, this, this statement, what in the world have we done? Well, that was not a question. I wasn't saying that as a question. But this person took that as apparently that I was asking a question. In other words, I was trying to seek actual knowledge of why. All right. Now, listen to this now. Uh, you asked the congregation in your lesson last Sunday, what did we do to deserve this? Referring to the institution of slavery in America. Your answer was nothing. To an external, to an extent, I disagree with you. This enslavement of the black race was a horrid happening. I am by no means attempting to justify it. I do, however, believe there is a biblical reason for its existence. Ham, one of Noah's sons, is the ancestor of the black race, correct? Ham's offspring inhabited the land of Egypt, Psalm 105, 23, and Psalm 78, 51. The children of Israel, descendants of Abraham, were wrongfully enslaved by the Egyptians. Therefore, Israelites were wrongfully enslaved by the ancestry of the black race. God promised Abram that those who cursed him, Abram, would be cursed, Genesis 12, 3, Numbers 24 and 9. That which a man sows, that shall he also reap. Proverbs 11:18, Galatians 6, 7 and 8. And the sins of the fathers are visited upon the son. Exodus 34, 7, Jeremiah 32, 18. Is it then possible that the enslavement of the black race in America came as a result of our ancestry's trespasses against the Israelites? We know we are Christians. We know we as Christians are redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Yet the majority of the Africans, as I understand it, were demon worshipers when they were taken from their land 200 years ago. Therefore, they had no protection from the recompense of their forefathers' sin. I'll be awaiting your response. Sincerely, Edward H. Tett III, 10845 Leffingwell Road, Norwalk, California, 90650. Now, now, listen, I appreciate the letter because the brother is thinking, and that's what I want. And uh, I'm not offended by the letter. He's asking some questions and asking, is it possible that this and so? Well, to that, I would have to say, in other words, the black race in America were put in slavery because of what our black Egyptian forefathers did to the Israelites. I disagree with that. And here's why, scripturally. Exodus, see, now the brother gave as one of the scriptures, Exodus 34, 7. Well, apparently he didn't read all of the verse. Exodus 34 and 7. Let's read that. It says, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Notice it didn't say anything about the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, the tenth, the eleventh, the twelfth, the hundredth generation. We weigh down the list on them generations. Okay, now that's not the only place. Go to Exodus, the twentieth chapter. 
back up to the 20th chapter of Exodus. Exodus 20 and 5. It says, you shall not bow down to them. Now, this is right in the context of the Ten Commandments. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So I, I, could, I could agree that perhaps the third and fourth generation might have some problems because of their parents. And that's pretty close even to what we have today in the sense that something that I do, let's say what I can do right now, can affect my son and like I have married daughters and they have children. So they're my grandchildren. So I would have, I guess my, you get the, my children would be the first generation. Would that be right? That, would that be the right first generation? Then their children would be second generation. Then their children would be the next generation, right? Well, see, I could do something and, and, and bring reproach upon my children, first generation children, and then their children. They could get a bad name or bad reputation or some bad uh, people coming against them because of what their father does. Suppose I go out, to, suppose I go out next week, I get caught in a motel with a woman and they put me on CNN and all the rest of the news. That's going to be an embarrassment. My children will be embarrassment embar and their children would be embarrassed. Isn't that right? I can see that. But when we get down to the fifth generation, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, tenth, and the twenty-fifth, and the thirty-fifth, and the hundredth generation, man, I'm a long ways from Abraham. See, we are a long way. Even 1619 was a long way from Abraham. That was 1,600 years after Christ. And Abraham was a bunch of years before Christ. So I wouldn't think that this idea of the iniquity of the fathers, first, second, and third generations, or second, third generation, would, would, would work. Then there's a third reference. Let's go to this, Numbers chapter 14. Now, we understand and know that sin, as sin, is behind all evil. You know what I mean? But, but just to say arbitrarily, and, and the person is not saying that, he's really asking a question, is it possible that that could be so? Well, I don't think so in the light of this. Numbers 14 and verse 18 says, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. So there's three references that talks about the fourth, third, and fourth generation. So I wouldn't think that it would happen uh, uh, because of what our so-called uh, Egyptian ancestors did to the Israelites. Beside that, check this out. Beside that, to my knowledge, the Egyptians did not call themselves one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I do not hear the Egyptians in their constitution saying that all men have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I don't find the Egyptian dynasties or any of the pharaohs claiming to be born again, filled with the spirit, and reading the Bible. That makes a big difference. And then, if that's the reason why black people would be possibly in bondage because of what our Egyptian ancestor did to the children of Israel, then what about the German people? 
who, who, who's taking the German folk into slavery? <clears throat> they, they, did, they did some horrendous things against the Jews. And that hadn't been 1,600 years ago. Huh? So if that's true, then we got to look for the Germans to be carried away into slavery. And beside that, even if God did visit the iniquity of the children of the fathers unto the second or third or fourth generation of children, I doubt seriously if God would use a so-called Christian nation to do it. I could see some heathen nation who doesn't believe in Jesus and has not accepted Christ. I could see them taking black folk or anybody for that matter, or we're talking about black folk because of what our ancient ancestor did and putting them in bondage and slavery. But the slavery of the black man in America was under the auspices of the so-called church. God could not use the church and the Bible, his own word that tells us that we're free, that everybody's free in Christ, and then use that same Bible to put black folk in bondage. I don't care if they were heathens, and I don't care if they did believe in all kind of demons and whatever. That's the whole idea of sending out missionaries into all the earth to preach the gospel so that they can come out of that darkness. Everybody before Christ came, they all of them were in darkness. All the black folk, the red folk, brown, yellow, and black, they were all in darkness, and they were all worshiping pagan gods. So what's that got to do with anything? Okay? So. But I, I, appreciate, I appreciate the brother's, uh, uh, the brother's uh, proposition of questions, and I, and I wouldn't argue about it, but I do think that, that, was, that we need, I needed to clarify that. We're, we're not, we're not, we did not come into slavery because God put us in there and God was punishing us for the sins of our forefathers. There's no way God is going to use his son, Jesus Christ, to put us in bondage. Because even after some of the slaves had accepted Christ, based on the knowledge that they had, the slave owners still mistreated them, still raped their women, still sold their children, and still beat them to death in many cases. So there's no way that, G that God would kill his blood-bought, blood-bought children through slavery. See, that don't, that don't compute. That bird won't fly. That fish cannot swim. And that dog refuses to bark. <laughs> All right, let's go into racism. Now, if you will remember, I, at the very outset of this, I told you that, that the title of this series is Race, Religion, and Racism. And I told you, without giving you any in-depth details, I said that the word racism technically speaking, is really an economic thing and not a color thing. However, in this nation, what we call racial and color prejudice has been handed down to us under the overall title of racism. So when we think of color prejudice, generally speaking, people think of racism. But Technically, they are different things. Okay? Now, and I have to apologize in advance for the possibility of mispronouncing the name of some of these authors. I'm pronouncing them the way they look to me. And so I want to apologize if 
the author happens to hear this broadcast or friends. It's not a deliberate something on my part to mispronounce. But, you know, a lot of times things are subject to what the person wants it to be called anyway. You know, so I'm just doing the best I can. Anyway, in his book, Uprooting Racism, by Paul Kival, copyright 1996, by Paul Kival, New Society Publishers, Gabriola Island, B.C., VOR1X0. Author Paul Kival, who happens to be white, makes some very illuminating statements about racism in the United States. I want to use some of them along with some very profound statements by Dr. Claude Anderson along the same lines. I believe these statements taken together will set the stage for our study on the subject of racism. Many people seem to have the idea that we should treat racism as if it didn't exist. But sad to say, it is very much alive and unfortunately doing quite well here in the United States of America. On page V1, Roman numeral V1, Mr. Kival says, quote, our society has been built upon a foundation of racism for so long that it's become part of the landscape, always there, seldom acknowledged, end of quote. That's a very interesting statement coming from a white man, don't you think? On page Roman numeral X1 or XI, he continues by saying, and I quote again, before I wrote this book, I accumulated a long list of reasons why it was an important project. Racism is pervasive. Its effects devastating. The need to fight against it, urgent. People of color are being blamed for our social problems and attacked on all fronts. Recent immigrants, African-American women on welfare, youth of color, and affirmative action programs are just some of the current targets of white anger. It seems like gains we made in civil rights and social justice in the 1960s and 1970s are being rolled back in the 1980s and 1990s, end of quote. Y'all listening? Raise your right hand if you're listening. On page one, he further states, and I quote, as white people, oh, y'all, I don't know, you know, I don't think I better read this. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you can handle this. Now, see, if a black man wrote this, what I'm getting ready to read, y'all, people would just pass it off. But this is not a black man's writing we're reading from. This be a white man, okay? I quote, as white people, we do many things 
to survive the heat. We move to the suburbs, put bars on our windows, put locks on our hearts, and teach our children distrust for their own protection. We believe the enemy is out there, and we can be safe in here. We never talk about what it means to be in here with other white people and why we are so afraid of people with darker skin colors out there. Since we don't talk about our fears, we are precluded from doing anything effective to put out the fire. End of quote. See, this is an honest white man telling the truth. And that's the only way this mess is going to ever get cleared up in America. Is by the admission of and then taking action against it. Now, again, I'm not really talking about society because I'm a preacher of the gospel. I'm a minister of the gospel. I'm really interested in the church and racism in the church. But remember that the church is made up of society. You know, people that go to churches, they also live in the suburbs, you know, with the locks and stuff, you know. Now, these are indeed revealing comments. I wonder how many white people can be honest enough to admit that these are their secret thoughts. I doubt seriously that Mr. Kival is alone in this kind of thinking. On page two, Mr. Kival hits the bullseye with this statement, quote, Racism is often described as a problem of prejudice. Prejudice is certainly one result of racism, and it fuels further acts of violence toward people of color. However, the assumption of this book is that racism is the institutionalization of social injustice based on skin color, other physical characteristics, and cultural and religious differences. I want to read that again. However, the assumption of this book is that racism is the institutionalization of social injustice based on skin color, other physical characteristics, and cultural and religious differences. Now get this. White racism is the uneven and unfair distribution of power, privilege, land, and material goods favoring white people. Continuing on, another way to state this is that white racism is a system in which people of color as a group are exploited and oppressed by white people as a group, end of quote. See, white people have to correct racial prejudice. And they can't do it from the suburbs. If you want 
sugar, salt, or spices to affect the dish that you're cooking or baking or making, you got to get the sugar and the spice and the salt out of the sugar bowl and the salt shaker into the dish that you're cooking. You get that analogy? Suburbs ain't going to cut it. You're going to have to you're going to have to get in here where the where the pot's boiling. And that's see that's what the church has not done. The church has abdicated its responsibility. White churches left the inner cities that used to be basically all white or certainly predominantly white and they left. And I hear Jesus saying, you're the salt. Now, what good is the salt in the salt shaker? You got to get the salt in the ingredients. So since you're the one that took it out to the suburbs, you're the ones that are going to have to bring it back into the inner city. Amen. And I'm talking, I'm talking now primarily about the church. I'm not, I'm not concerned with society as such. I'm concerned, but I'm not, I'm not dealing with society. I'm dealing with the church because the church is the same thing. I mean, they left the inner cities. You don't have no white churches in the inner city. You ain't got no white churches, as it were, in, in, in the hood. It wasn't always the hood. Huh? It wasn't always the ghetto. It didn't become the ghetto till you left. All right, let's go on. On page three of the same book, Mr. Kaivo makes another interesting statement. Quote, racism and anti-Semitism are two primary closely related tools that groups in power have used to maintain their advantage. End of quote. He goes on to say on page 29, I quote, there are historically derived economic benefits too. All the land in this country was taken from the Native Americans. And it wasn't black folk who took it. He goes on to say, much of the infrastructure of this country was built by slave labor. Listen, incredibly low paid labor, if any at all, or by prison labor performed by men and women of color. Much of the house cleaning, child care, cooking, and maintenance of our society has been done by low-wage earning women of color. Further property and material goods were appropriated by whites through the colonization of the West and Southwest throughout the 19th century through the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II, through racial riots against people of color in the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries, and through an ongoing legacy of legal manipulation and exploitation. Today, men in... I, 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 this is not a black man. 
Drop your rocks. This, 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 we read this is from the pen of a Caucasian. Caucasoid. So don't, don't, don't be getting upset with me. Going on. Today, men and women and children of color still do the hardest, lowest paid, most dangerous work throughout the country. And we white people, again, depending on our relative economic circumstances, enjoy plentiful and inexpensive food, clothing, and consumer goods because of that exploitation. End of quote. Brother is hitting hard. But see, he can speak with authority because he be one of them. So he be knowing what goes on in these secret meetings behind closed doors at the dinner tables that us black folk will never be privy to. Of course, unless you have a Texaco. I ain't saying no more. I just said, that's, you know, I just said Texaco. I mean, yeah. moving right along. Now, that's an awesome statement. What we just read from a white man. You would have to be deaf, dumb, or blind not to recognize the need of dealing with this racism issue. Someone has to do it, and I have been drafted. On page 30, on page 30, Mr. Kaiva points up another important bit of information. I quote, it is not that white Americans have not worked hard and built much. We have. Oh, watch this now. But we did not start out from scratch. We went to segregated schools and universities built with public money. We received school loans. VA loans, housing and auto loans when people of color were excluded or heavily discriminated against. Watch this now. He goes on to say, we, talking about white people, we received federal jobs, military jobs and contracts when only whites were allowed. We were accepted into apprenticeships, training programs and unions when access for people of color was restricted or non-existent. End of quote. Now, I, I said, see, it's an economic thing. This whole thing is economic. And I said it before, but, but I want to, and I'll be saying it periodically. We, black people in America, are absolutely a unique people. No, 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 listen, listen. We are, we are a special people. Now, here's why I say that. Because... To have achieved what we have achieved with what we had to start with, we are a miracle. Now, here's what I mean. See, after the Civil War, in 1865, when we were emancipated, we were supposed to get 40 acres and a mule. 
That's true. I said that is true. That's not a figment. That is actually what was going to happen. It was documented and written down. And then they killed Abraham Lincoln. And your next president that came up vetoed the idea. And we were emancipated with nothing. Nothing. We started out with nothing. And look what we have achieved. And I'm sorry to say, I'm sorry to say, see, somehow they innately know that. And they know that if we ever let these black people get equality, that they will take over. They will be on the top of everything. And watch this, watch this. Every place they have let us in, we rose to the top. Every place. Every place. And I, I, I knew this, what I'm getting ready to tell you, I knew this in my mind, but uh, over the holidays, we, I had an opportunity to put it into operation. I think everybody in America knows about the game called Monopoly. Anybody ever play Monopoly? Raise your hand. Oh, look, I look some, some, of you, some of these old stiff, stiff uh, 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 aristocrats, even when I said Monopoly, <laughs> they got a big <laughs> smile on their face. Hey, let me say that again, Monopoly. Well, anyway, if you know anything about Monopoly, Every player starts out with $1,500. Well, I wanted to play the advocate, the black advocate. So we played Monopoly the other night, and I didn't take any money. I, 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 I wanted to take the place of the slaves that were emancipated in 1865, <laughs> who did not get the 40 acres or the mule. And so I took nothing. Now, I, I survived for a few times around the board, but I couldn't buy nothing. And it was very soon I was out of the game. Now, you would say that that is unfair to have somebody sit down at a table and play Monopoly and not give them the $1,500 to start with. But that's what this country did with our people when they emancipated us. And then have the audacity, the unmitigated gall to wonder why we don't do better. And you started out with $1,500, and we started out with nothing. Yet look what we have done. Be proud of yourself. And here's a man telling you the very thing from that culture, from that society, letting you in on the real inner workings of this mess. <clears throat> on page 39 of the same book, Mr. Kaivo makes a blockbuster statement. 
he, watch this now, he sums up in one sentence the cause of all of our racial problems. Now you better be sure you got your seatbelt on. I like to fell off the chair when I read this. When I was doing my research and I read this, I almost, I slipped off the chair, man. I had to grab myself. This, this, this is boy. I don't know. Listen to this. I quote, racism is caused by white people, by our attitudes, behaviors, practices, and institutions, end of quote. Whoop, there it is. And see, it can never be fixed. It can never be fixed, either in the church or in society, until those who have been perpetrating the crime admit to the crime and repent of the crime and make restitution. Now, this is a white man. This is not some angry black revolutionary making these statements. And this stuff is in print. This is not clandestine information that I picked up in a back alley somewhere. I gave you the name of the book, copyright, etc. Friends, that statement says it all. Like it or lump it, take it or leave it, that is the way it is. This is the real underlying reason for racism. It's not about color, it's about power. And see, the color thing has been blown up just as a dodge. That, that, that's been used as the smokescreen for the clandestine crippling of a whole nation of people. Dr. Claude Anderson, who is black and the author of the celebrated book, Black Labor, White Wealth, in a public meeting held in the Crenshaw Christian Center Faith Dome, said almost the identical thing that Mr. Kival said in reference to racism. Dr. Anderson, speaking to a mostly black audience, said, and I quote, I want you to understand that you are in a very highly competitive situation. You're going to be competing to survive and prosper, and that's what racism is all about. Contrary to what anybody tells you, and I just saw a definition of racism in the Washington Post just last week, who is a noted columnist, who is a conservative, and what he was really talking about was prejudice and discrimination. He wasn't talking about racism, but he was mystifying the word. That's why I finally figured out why he's always on the wrong side of issues relating to black folk. He thinks a black person can be a racist. A black person cannot be a racist. Now, now he's not saying black folk can't be prejudiced. See, see that's what you've got to understand is the difference. 
didn't say black people cannot be bigots. That's a different thing. See, and that's where we see the words have been mixed together. So we thought that racism meant racial prejudice, but it, 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 you got to separate the two. Otherwise, you can't ever fix it. Okay, listen again. A black person cannot be a racist. Racism is a power relationship between groups of people. That's all it is. It means that one group of people have control of so much wealth and power and resources that they can deprive, hurt, injure, and exploit another group to benefit itself. Never in the history of the earth have black folk ever controlled that much resources where they have gone out of their way to exploit, injure, and do something to whites. So therefore, racism only started in the 16th century. When they began to commercialize slavery against blacks, that's when racism started. There was no such thing as racism before that. Oh, yes, there was slavery, but not racism. There's a big difference. You've got to understand that. See, why do you think they call this thing in America? You need to go and read this book. Why do you think they call this thing in America the peculiar institution? There has never, ever in the history of planet Earth ever been anything like black slavery in America. They called it the peculiar institution. No slavery anywhere in the world was like the slavery in America. And that's what they call it. They call it the peculiar institution. Peculiar because ain't nothing else like it. See, you didn't even know that. All right, now watch this. There was no such thing as racism before that. The other thing you need to know about racism is racism comes from the word race. Race means group. So whenever you hear people talking about you cannot prove racism because someone fires you from a job, they are absolutely right. And the power structures in all of the white think tanks in Washington know that. That's why you can no longer prove racism because racism does not apply to an individual. It applies to a group. Because I discriminate against you, that's individual. That's personal. It's not group based and so you can no thank you for checking out fan line until next time keep jesus first and be transformed by the renewing of your minds